Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Raleigh-Durham Gospel Truth Seminar. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to the book of Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul is writing this and he says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Man, I could preach on that for an hour. Paul was called by God. Today we have so many people that are called by their mother or by whatever. I actually had a man one time that I asked him why he was... A minister and he says, well, I always wanted to do something good. So I thought I'd be a doctor or a minister. And it just turned out he turned out to be a minister. It was just like one of two choices. He didn't have a call from God. Man, that's wrong. You need to, I tell people all the time that if you can do something besides preach, then do it. <laughs> if, you, if you can be content doing something besides ministering the word, then you need to do it. It needs to be a call so that there's no way around it. This is what I've got to do. This is what God's called me to do. In verse two, it says, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you in peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot more in that verse than what it appears. If you put this together with 2 Peter chapter one, it says grace and peace is multiplied unto you through the knowledge of him that has called you to glory and virtue. That's what I was talking about earlier that God has done everything, but it's only the truth we know that sets us free. And because we don't know what God has done, this is what's holding us back. And so when it says grace and peace be unto you from God, if you put it together, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2, then it shows you that this is according to the knowledge that you have. Your peace is directly proportional to your mind being stayed upon God. Isaiah 26, 3, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. Like I said, I could preach on that a long time, but here's a verse I just wanted to get to in verse four. It says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our father. It is God's will to deliver you from this present evil world not just the world to come, not just talking about hell. This is one of the major problems that I believe that has been associated with proclaiming the gospel that for whatever reason, religion has changed the gospel to believe on Jesus so that you won't die and go to hell, but instead you'll go to heaven. Now that is a tremendous benefit of salvation. I'm not minimizing heaven, but that is not the gospel. Jesus died to deliver us from this present evil world, not just the one to come. Now, it includes the one to come, but he died to deliver us from this present evil world. That is powerful. And it says that that is the will of God and of our Father. It is not God's will for us to be suffering. You know, Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter seven, he taught us how to pray and he said, Give us this day our daily bread. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord told us to pray for his will to be done here on this earth as it is in heaven. You know, most of us have a, a fairly clear idea that in heaven there isn't gonna be any more sorrow. There's not gonna be any more pain. There won't be any sickness. 
We sing songs about when we all get to heaven. What a day that will be. And most people see heaven as this place of blessing where sickness and disease and poverty and all of the things that we deal with are gone. And yet Jesus said to pray that his will would be done on earth the same as it's done in heaven. We are supposed to experience heaven here on this earth. We are supposed to be walking in the blessing of God. And yet most of religion, not all of it, but most of religion today is proclaiming that no, God wants you sick. It's not God's will to heal you. God doesn't want you to prosper. You can't walk in joy all of the time. You know, I'll pre, oh, thank you, Renee. <laughs> you got right into this, didn't you? Renee knows what I'm talking about. She was dead. She was raised from the dead. Man, she knows you can walk in health. Stand up and let them see what a, a live from the dead person looks like. Man, that's awesome. But you know what? You can walk in hell. When I talk about, it's my testimony that it has now been over 40 something years, 43, 44 years since I've been depressed. I have Christians get mad at me and come up and say, you can't say that. That's not true. They say, you're lying. They say, you can't live that way. They just don't believe it. Do you think you're going to be depressed in heaven? Bible says, let his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You don't have to be depressed here. Now I've had depressing things happen to me and I've had the temptation to be depressed. I've felt those feelings, but instead of giving in to them, I've rebelled at them. I've gone the other direction and I know how, like that book I was advertising, The Keys to Staying Full of God, I know how to release the love and the joy of the Lord in my life. It's not up to God to turn on the spigot. God has placed love, joy, and peace on the inside of me, Galatians 5, 22, and it's here constantly. If you're born again, it's also in you. Every time you're depressed and you're just crying and walling and squalling and bawling, doing all of this and sucking your thumb, did you know that your spirit, man, is rejoicing and praising in God, praising God? And it's just a choice of whether you're going to let your feelings and emotions dominate you or whether you're going to stand up and operate in Christ and operate on who you are in Christ. But you don't have to be depressed. And I know there's, and people will come up to me and say, so you aren't compassionate towards those that are depressed. Sure, I'm compassionate towards you. I'm compassionate enough to tell you the truth. It's the truth that will set you free. I can get down and cry with you and bawl and squall, but that's not going to set you free. It might make you feel good for a while to think, well, even Andrew Womack is depressed, so I guess I'm okay. You might feel good for a while, but that's not going to set you free. But I tell you what will set you free is just bend over and let me give you a good swift kick in the rear and tell you to straighten up and grow up and start drawing on what God has given you. Jesus died to deliver you from this present evil world. If there is something that we're redeemed from in heaven, then you're redeemed from it in earth. The only thing is, it's not automatic. You have to believe to receive. Romans chapter five, verse two says, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. God by grace has already done everything and provided everything for you, but you access it. That word for access is the exact same word that we use, that we get the word admission from. The way you gain admission to what Jesus has done for you is by faith. 
And it's not faith to just cry and, oh God, please touch me and scream and cry and be insistent and call the prayer chain and get a hundred people to put pressure on God until he does something. That's not faith. Faith is saying, Father, I believe that you died to deliver me from this present evil world and I'm refusing this stuff. I will not be defeated. Man, BJ and, and uh, Lisa were singing this song. Uh, forget, what's the exact words about? That's why you never give up. Is because Jesus has done this. And since Jesus has provided it, why am I going to let something that Jesus died to produce in me go unclaimed? If you really believe that Jesus died for your sickness, for your disease, for your poverty, for your depression, and I could go into every one of those things and give you scriptures. Isaiah chapter 53, he bore your sorrows and carried your grief. He was despised and rejected so that you wouldn't have to be that way. If Jesus did these things for you, then why do you allow those things to dominate you and operate in your life? And I know some of you are thinking, well, this preach is good, but it, it doesn't work. <laughs> you can't live that way. Well, don't wake me up because this is how I'm living. <laughs> I'm telling you, you shouldn't leave anything that Jesus died and purchased for you to be taken advantage of in eternity. You can walk in everything that Jesus has given you in this life to the degree that you renew your mind and reach out. Now the difference between this life and heaven is that in heaven, not only will you be operating in the victory that Jesus purchased for you, but everybody else will. Satan will be removed and all of the people that don't believe God aren't gonna be there. And so we aren't gonna have the resistance. We aren't gonna have the opposition that we have here in this earth, but to the degree that you renew your mind and stand on it, you can be delivered and walk in victory in this life. You can walk in health. You don't have to get sick. You don't have to be poor. You don't have to be defeated. And again, I know that there's people sitting right here in this room who would fight me over that because you want to be sick. You want to be defeated. And you say, oh no, I don't. But you don't believe God has redeemed you from it. You just think it's normal, it's natural. You think that you have to suffer in this life. And you know what? If that's what you believe, you can get what you believe. We are the ones that limit God. God is limitless. There are people right here struggling with physical, natural things, but you just can't believe that God is gonna just heal you instantly. You might believe that over a course of months or weeks or years you could get healed, but you can't believe that God would just heal you. And you know what, if that's what you believe, you won't be healed instantly. You limit God. God moves in your life according to your faith. There's many times that he told people, he says, according to your faith, so be it done unto you. And your life is going the direction of what you believe. Some of you say, oh no, that's not true. I believe in God for healing and yet I'm sick. I'm not saying it's going the direction of what you want. It's going the direction of what you believe. There's a lot of people who want to be healed, who want to be prosperous, who want to be free but you don't believe you're free. You might even believe that God can set a person free, but you don't believe that you're already free. Jesus died to deliver us from this present evil world, and when he died, he said, it is finished. 
Jesus did his part. You are delivered from this present evil world. Somebody says, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. You just don't believe it. Thank you for that thunderous silence. Some of you are thinking, I came here to be edified and encouraged and you're condemning me. I'm not condemning you. I'm telling you the truth. The truth will set you free. I'm saying that Jesus has already healed you. Jesus has already set you free. Now, are you going to believe it and start acting on it? Or are you going to continue to beg God and ask God to do something he's already done? I heard T.L. Osborne one time on television being interviewed and he talked about how that when he ministers overseas that he very seldom ever finishes a message because he gets to talking about what Jesus has already done, that you're already healed, that it's a done deal and it's just a matter of you reaching out and taking it. And he goes to telling people this and he said seldom ever does he finish a message without people just starting to get up and start being healed. And people start exercising their faith and miracles start happening and he can't finish his message. He just has to give an invitation because people are seeing so many miracles. And then he said, but you know what? In the United States, I have never been interrupted. In the United States, people will sit there passively and they'll listen to a message like this that Jesus has already delivered you. It's already done. And then they'll come up right afterwards and say, would you please pray for me that God will heal me? It's like you're missing everything I'm saying. God's already done it. And you know what you should be doing? You should be just reaching out right now and receiving it and saying, man, if he's done it, well, then I'm not gonna leave it on the table. I'm gonna receive it. You know, when I got born again, right before I got born again, I was eight years old when I received Jesus as my Lord, but I was in a vacation Bible school in a Baptist church, and we had about 600 people uh, 600 kids in this thing. And normally, I, my, my family was like a skunk. We had our own pew. We sat right there every time. I mean, we were right here. That was our pew. And, uh, but because I was in this group, they marched us in according to our classes and they sat me on the back row of this auditorium, 600 kids in there. And there was a man who stood up and he took out a dollar bill, which back, you know, when I was eight years old, a dollar bill was a lot of money to an eight-year-old. And he held up a dollar bill and he said, I'll give this dollar bill to the first kid that comes up here and takes it. And immediately there's like 20 or 30 kids just all standing around him and jumping and saying, I want it, I want it, I want it. And I thought to myself, I said, of all times to sit on the back row... <laughs> And this guy just ignored all of these kids and he kept his hand in the air and he said, I'll give this dollar bill to the first kid that comes up here and takes it. And everybody was wondering what he was doing and he just kept repeating it. He said it three or four times and finally, I understood what he was talking about. Man, I jumped out of my seat and I ran down the aisle and I pushed my way through all of these other kids and he had his hand up like this and I reached up and grabbed his arm and climbed up his side and grabbed that dollar bill out of his hand. And he looked at me and he says, that's the first kid that came up here and took it. He said, all of you wanted it, but only one took it. And he used that to illustrate what salvation was. And you know, it was just a, I don't know, a few weeks or short time after that when I got born again, because it illustrated to me how salvation is. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. You don't have to ask God to forgive your sins. 
Church will say that, pray and ask God to forgive your sins, but you can't find that in Scripture. The only time it tells you in the New Testament, uh, you know, that you ask for forgiveness is 1 John 1, 9. I'm not going to teach on that, but that's already to Christians. There isn't any scripture where Jesus or any of the apostles told people to confess your sins and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Instead, in Acts chapter 16, Paul told the Philippian jailer, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Believe what? Believe that he's already died for your sins. He's already paid for your sins. He's done it. Now just believe, reach out and take it by faith. There aren't scriptures that tell you to ask God to save you. It tells you to believe on what he has already done. If you ask, God, would you please save me? That's a question that has a possibility of it not being answered. But that is not true. Salvation is a done deal. First John chapter two, verse two says, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus has already paid for the sins of the whole world. Not only the people that are here, not only the Christians. He didn't just die for the people who he knew would get saved. He's died for every person and paid for the sins of the entire world. The sins of those who hate God, the sins of atheists, the sins of people who are opposed to God have already been forgiven. Some of you are thinking, I can hear your wheels turning. You're saying, so you're saying everybody's saved? No, because not everybody reaches out and by faith takes what God has done. You have to put faith in Jesus. Romans chapter 10 verse nine says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You have to appropriate. I've already used that verse out of Romans 5 too. We have access by faith into this grace. But see, when you get born again, you might've gone through the motions and you may have said, oh God, would you please forgive me of my sins? But if you truly got born again, it wasn't a rhetorical question. It wasn't something where you were asking God to do something. It was, you were making a demand. It's kind of like a kid when they come in and says, mom, can I have something to eat? There's really no question mark to that. They're making a demand on you. They are expecting something. And if you were to say, no, you're too bad today. I'm not going to feed you. I guarantee you, most kids would get right th in there and start arguing with you because it wasn't a question. It was making a demand. I used an example when I got this brand new Jeep and Ashley Teradez, Carly's husband, some of you know them from our video about Hannah, their daughter that was miraculously healed. And I stood up and I said, you know, you could come and you could, I could say, I'm going to give you the keys to my Jeep if you want to go drive it. And then if you come up afterwards and you say, can I have the keys to your Jeep? That would be unbelief because you didn't believe what I said. But you could come up and say, can I have the keys to your Jeep? And you could say the exact same words and yet you could make a demand instead of a request. And after I used that example, Ashley walked right up and says, can I have the keys to your Jeep? And I went right there and he went out driving with my Jeep. So see, it's not necessarily the words you say, but it's how you say it. And if you truly got born again, you didn't just say, oh God, would you please save me? And not knowing whether he would do it or not. You had to believe that he had already died for your sins, that your sins were paid for. And if you truly understood the gospel message, there was no question 
with it. You were reaching out and making a demand on what Jesus had already accomplished. And this is the reason that it was so easy for you, see, to get born again. Because you weren't asking, would he do it? And then waiting to see. How can you tell if you're saved? Some people think, well, I felt something. That's not a good reason. Because you know what? I don't, I don't care how you felt when you first got saved. There will be another time that you won't feel that way. And if you, if you believe you're saved because you felt something, well, then what happens when you don't feel that way? Does that mean that you aren't saved now? You're setting yourself up for failure. You don't believe that you're saved because you felt something, because you had a goosebump go up and down your spine, because you saw one cat walk this way and two dogs that way, and that was a t sign to you. There's people that do stuff like that. But you know why you know that you're saved? Because the Word of God says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then verse 13, Romans 10, 13 says, for with the heart, or excuse me, everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so you believe because God promised you that. I've led people to the Lord before and I could tell that they were struggling. Did God hear me? And I, I'll quote that verse. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, do you believe that you're a whosoever? Yeah, well, I'm a whosoever. Did you call on the name of the Lord? Yes, I did. Are you saved? They'll say, well, I don't know. And I'll say, is God a liar? No, I don't believe God is a liar. So are you a whosoever? And I'll just keep going over and over and over this until eventually it clicks that I was a whosoever. I called on the name of the Lord. He can't lie. I must be saved. And people go to believing it because of the promise of God's word, not because of some feeling or something external that is going to change and be subject to change. You believe it because you believe the word promised it's already done and you reach out and receive it. But then when it comes to receiving other things from God, we think that it's yet to be accomplished. If you would have had salvation presented to you that way, if somebody would have told you that Jesus did die for people, but every time a person gets saved, he's got to die again, and you don't know for sure if he'll do it for you. If it was presented to you that way, nobody in here would have believed that God loved you enough to come and do it again. But because it was presented that it's already been done, that God commended his love towards you and that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Because it was presented that way, you didn't doubt something that has already happened. If it's already happened, how could you doubt that it will happen? And that's the reason it's so easy to get born again. But you know why healing is so hard for most people? Because they don't believe it's already happened. They believe it's something that God can do, but they aren't sure he has done it until they get the doctor to verify it, until they feel something in their body. That's not right. I've prayed with people before, and I mean they had pain in their body. I prayed with a number of people tonight who had pain, and when I prayed for them, instantly the pain's gone. And I said, that's an evidence, it's a token, but your guarantee is the Word of God. But they've had pain leave them and all of these things, and then uh, they just will sit there and come up, and they say, all right, I'm going to go to the doctor and, and find out if I was healed. And I tell you, it just makes, it makes the spirit of slap want to come all over me. 
You had pain before, now it's gone, and you aren't sure that anything happened. I've prayed with people who've had pain for 20 years. They've never been without pain for 20 years. I pray with them and instantly their pain's gone. They say, I'm gonna go to the doctor and see if I was healed. How dumb can you get and still breathe? But there's some people that honestly, they just don't believe it's already done until a doctor verifies it, until something else happens. That's not faith. Faith is the ability to see things with your heart that you can't see with your eyes. Faith is believing God's promise rather than believing what you feel and what somebody else said. You know, I was writing a footnote today on Isaiah chapter 31. And anyway, it was, it was this statement about the people were trusting in Egypt, that they were going to protect them from the Assyrians. And he says, it's stupid to trust in the strength of a horse. He says, God is greater than this and God is going to overcome and God's judgment that he pronounced is going to come to pass regardless of the Egyptians, the Assyrians, anybody else. And anyway, I was writing this footnote and saying, this is so obvious. Why wouldn't anybody understand that? But then I answered my own question because most of us are carnal what the Bible means by carnal is we are controlled by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, your five senses. And to most of us, the physical, natural stuff is more real than the spiritual stuff. Carnal mindedness is death, Romans chapter 8, verse 6. And on and on I could go with those scriptures. And the reason most of us miss these obvious truths is because we're just carnal. Carnal doesn't necessarily mean sinful. All sin is carnal, but not all carnality is sin. You can be a very moral person, and if you are one that just can't believe something happened until the doctor tells it, you're carnal. If you can't believe that you're blessed until you see in your bank account all of this money, you're carnal. God loves you, you carnal thing. I'm not saying God's <laughs> mad at you, but I'm saying... You are dominated by your five senses. You aren't operating in faith. And that's the reason you haven't been able to access the things that God has already provided by grace is because you are just so carnal. You can't believe that anything exists except what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. That's carnal. Did you know right now there's radio signals, there's television signals in this room, but you can't see them. And if you say, I don't believe there are, that doesn't mean that they aren't here. It just means you aren't real smart. <laughs> they are in here. And all you got to do to prove it is put a television up here, turn it on, tune it in. And you know what? When you start seeing and hearing the signal is not when the signals come. They're already here. You just weren't able to receive what was already here. It's in an unseen realm, but it does exist. Right now there's multiple television signals. There's multiple radio signals. There's all kinds of noise in this room that you can't hear, but it is here. Likewise, there is a spiritual realm that you can't see or perceive with your little peanut brain. And if you say, well, I can't see it, therefore I don't believe it, that's carnal. You are controlled and dominated by your senses and that blocks us from receiving from God. That verse I quoted a minute ago, Romans chapter eight, verse six, it says, uh, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That didn't say that carnal mindedness tends towards death, 
It is a part of death. No, it's just like saying carnal mindedness equals death. Spiritual mindedness equals life and peace. What is being spiritually minded? That doesn't mean that you go around with this sick religious look on your face like you've been eating prunes. It doesn't mean that you've turned your collar around backwards. It doesn't mean you're sprinkling holy water. All of the stuff that a lot of people think is true spirituality. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. To be spiritually minded is to be dominated by the promises of God's word instead of dominated by what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. If you are controlled by the physical circumstances, what you see in your bank account or don't see in your bank account, what you feel in your body, what the doctor has to say, what the lawyer has to say, what your neighbor has to say, if those things affect you more than what God has to say, you're carnal, you aren't spiritual, and that equals death. But if you can be controlled by the word of God, that's spiritual mindedness, and that equals life and peace. It's that simple. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. Your life is the way you think it is. Not the way you think that it could be and desire it to be and beg and plead with God for it to be, but your life is the way it is because of the way you think. And I know some of you hate that and think that's terrible. It's actually a blessing to find out this is true. Because if your life is a mess, then instead of having to beseech God and bombard God and spend weeks fasting and praying and begging for God to do something and you trying to make God change, that's hard. He's the Lord. He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Man, when you start trying to twist God's arm and get God to do something, you're barking up the wrong tree. You are headed for a dead end. That's not going to work. It's actually a blessing to find out that the reason your life is going the direction it is is because of the way you think. Because it's easier to change you than it is to change God. All you got to do is get into the Word and say, God, forgive me for doubting what you said. And I'm going to believe your Word. And you get in and you start changing the way you think and then this, this scripture, Proverbs 23, 7, will start working for you instead of against you. And you can see your life change. But you've got to, I started on all of this out of Galatians 1, 4, saying Christ has delivered it. He died to deliver you from this present evil world. And yet most of us have been raised in just the natural realm and then religion comes along and compounds the problem but in the natural realm, you were taught that you're only human, that it, you know, you're, you're just a human and it's you know, flu season and so it's time for you to get sick. You're now 40, so you give black balloons that you're over the hill. You, you gotta start expecting to have problems now and start doing this. And you can't find that in the Bible. I can show you scripture in, in Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 32, where Moses was 120 years old and his natural force wasn't abated nor his eyesight dim. At 120, 
He climbed a mountain the day that he died. He climbed Mount Nebo and the Lord took him, but he was strong enough at 120 to climb a tall mountain. And what he had was nothing compared to what you have. Matthew chapter 11, verses 11 and 12 says, John the Baptist was the greatest man that had ever lived under the old covenant. That includes Moses. And yet it says, he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. If you think you are the sorriest, puniest saint in this room, you're greater than Moses. So therefore, if Moses was 120 years old and his eyesight was still good and his strength was good and he could climb a mountain, you should be doing the same thing. And somebody, I don't believe that. That's the reason you aren't in that condition. Not because God hadn't provided it. It's because you don't believe it. You believe you're supposed to be shriveled up and, and sick and poor at 60 or whatever and you get what you believe. Some of you have a pain. Did you know arthritis never jumps on anybody all at once? There's not a person in here that struggles with arthritis that just like that, you became totally crippled with arthritis. It'll hit you one joint at a time, one little pain at a time. And you have to accept that pain and say, well, I'm only human and I guess I'm getting arthritis. And then it'll go into the next joint and you have to accept it bit by bit by bit. You have been well taught to be as sick as you are. It doesn't come easy. I think that this is one reason that Adam and Eve, Adam lived to be 960 years old. He didn't know that he was over the hill at 40. <laughs> he didn't know he was supposed to retire at 65. They didn't even start having children until they were hundreds of years old. It took a long time for the devil to convince people that it's flu season. You got to get your shot. They didn't know that. They didn't know how to die. They'd never seen anybody die. They didn't know how to be sick. You have to be taught to be sick. I know some of you think, that's not true. It is true. Do you know, our kids, we raise them expecting health. And I remember, you know, my, I'm not saying that we're immune and it's like problems don't ever come our way. We live in a fallen world and things come against us. And my kids had sickness come against them. And you know, your tendency is, is when you see your kids sick is to, you know, just baby them and have them lay in bed and rub their fevered brow and just give them extra love. And you know what you're doing? You're encouraging them to be sick. We taught our kids that we don't allow sickness in our family. And my son Joshua was about four years old and he was sick and he'd been laying there and I just pray, I've, I'd prayed for him before and he just get, would get instantly healed off my faith and stuff. But he was about four and a half years old. He got saved at three and a half. He was flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He called out healings and saw a man with a broken leg healed by a word of knowledge when he was three and a half years old. And so he saw miracles happen and I was praying for him this time when he had like flu symptoms on him. And I wasn't seeing a manifestation. And I prayed and said, God, what's the problem? And he said, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He needs to resist. Yes. It's not up to you anymore to just resist for him. He needs to resist this. So I started talking to him. Joshua, you need to get up. You need to start doing something. He didn't feel like getting up. 
And I said, you are going to get up. You will resist this. And he didn't want to. And I know, you know, I probably shouldn't even say this. (laughs) I'll have people do something. You might report me. Who cares? But my, my children knew what a spanking was and they knew to respond. And I finally, after I tried to reason with him and he wasn't responding, I said, Joshua, if you don't get up and act on the word of God, I'm going to give you a spanking. <laughs> you know what? He decided he'd get up and act on the word of God. <laughs> and he got up and started running around the room and playing within 10 minutes. He as well. And you know, because of that, my kids knew that we wouldn't allow them to be sick. We wouldn't accept sickness. And I remember my in-laws were over. Most of the time when sickness came against them, it was because somebody else was over and the devil would try and put something over thinking that we wouldn't stand our ground because of what somebody else would think. And that's when sickness nearly always attacked them. So my in-laws were over and we were sitting at the table and I remember Peter, my youngest son, came running through it, a dead run and stopped right in front of us, looked at us, threw up and boom, he was out the other door. You could tell something was bothering him, but it didn't slow him down. And I mean, he was gone and he never, I mean, that's it. I know some of you may not like this and you, you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. I think you're weird for encouraging your kids and telling them, you know what, well, I understand it's flu season and you know, you had somebody with a cold come up and hug you and so you have to get sick. I don't believe that stuff. And we stood against it. And you know, our kids walked in supernatural health. I remember when they had to go get a physical to play football, the nurse came out when they took a blood sample and she says, is this your son's blood? And I said, I don't know. I don't recognize it. <laughs> and she said, well, this is your son's blood. And I said, well, what's wrong? She says, nothing. I have never seen blood like this in my life. Says, this is the purest blood I have ever seen. And the nurse came out. We didn't talk to them about the Lord or say anything, but they said, we've never seen blood like this. You know what? Our kids didn't get sick. You could tell something tried to hit them, but they knew how to stand and they didn't get sick. You do not have to grow up sick. Kids don't have to be sick. You don't have to be sick. You don't have to be poor. Jesus died to redeem us from this present evil world. And there's a lot of people that teach, oh no, it's when we all get to heaven. That's not so. I'm telling you, we got a lot of people today who aren't preaching a full gospel. They're preaching an empty gospel that all the Lord can do is forgive you of sin. If that's all there was, that'd be more than we deserve. And I'm not complaining about that. That's good. But it is much greater than that. He died to deliver us from this present evil world. And I'm telling you, God wants you free from oppression and from fear and from worry and care. There's Christians that worry about stuff just as much as the unbelievers. When the so-called great recession hit, Christians panicked. And that is absolutely wrong. The Bible says, God shall supply all of our need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 19. And yet Christians, because they don't know what the word said, they just uh, figured that, oh no, we're in a great recession. 
And they started expecting to lose their job. They started expecting poverty. They started expecting failure. They listened to the people who were in the stock market who were committing suicide and killing themselves because they were losing all of their money and fear came upon them and Christians began to worry. Did you know Jamie and I immediately said that man, God is supplying our need according to his riches in glory. We're gonna prosper. I don't care what this world system does. And did you know that when the stock market went down 50%, we made a 61% increase in the first six months. And some of you are thinking, man, who invests for you? You missed it. It wasn't the person that has our account. Matter of fact, he told me, he says, you know, all of my clients did good, but he says, you did just different than anybody else. He says, there is no explanation in the natural for it. It was the favor of God. The same person investing in my account prospers more than others. I'm telling you, you can walk different than this world. You don't have to fear things. I remember when 9-11 happened, I was headed to Charlotte to be with Pastor Dean. That happened the week before our camp meeting started and we had to drive all the way from Colorado out to Charlotte because the uh, airplanes were grounded. And t Christians panicked. Christians wondered where this was going. Fear hit them. And I guarantee you, I wasn't afraid of flying. I would have gotten on a plane the same day and have flown because God takes care of me. I had a, a girl one time that was sitting next to me on a plane and she was freaking out. She was scared spitless. It was her first time to fly on an airplane and she was just panicking. And I told her, I said, look, don't worry. You're sitting next to me. Nothing can happen because God is gonna take care of me. And she calmed right down. I told her about the pilot curling up in a fetal position and saying, my God, we're gonna die. And I had to fly the airplane for an hour. And God brought me through. And I said, don't worry, it'll work. And she just settled right down. We were out four-wheeling this last week and there was thousand foot drop-offs right off of this road. And we only had about, I don't know, six inches to a foot left before this thousand foot drop off. And we were going over rocks as big as this thing, crawling over it in my Jeep. And all of a sudden it had rained and it was slick and my Jeep slid sideways. And I asked this couple from England that were with us in the car, I said, are you okay? And they said, well, I trust that God's gonna take care of you, so I'm okay. <laughs> I said, we're okay, amen. But there are Christians that are afraid of heights. There's Christians that are afraid to fly. There's Christians that are afraid to do this and do that. You know why? Because you don't believe that Jesus died to deliver you from this present evil world. You operate in fear as much as the unbeliever next door. You expect to get sick like your unbeliever next door. You expect to have poverty like your unbeliever next door. You expect to be laid off like your unbeliever next door. It's not God who hasn't provided us the deliverance. We have accepted a substandard thing. You were taught this from birth that you're only human. And then Christianity comes along and we sing these songs like, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking of you. That song will kill you. That's a dumb song. It's a catchy tune, but it's a dumb song. I'm not only human. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. 
I got the power of God living on the inside of me. You ought to expect something more than people that don't know God. You're alive. They're dead. There should be a difference between a alive and a dead person. But this world, see, doesn't, doesn't recognize this. And sadly, a lot of Christians don't recognize it. And sadly, most Christians are so plugged into this world that you listen to the nightly news and they talk about what's happening in the world without Jesus and you take that as being normal. And they talk about that, oh, this sickness is ram, you know, coming through, that there's an epidemic, a pandemic, and they talk about all this stuff and the Christians just swallow it and think that, well, I'm only human. And then you wonder why you get sick and why things happen because you don't believe that God has already done it. You don't believe that you have any authority to do anything about it. And if you do come into problems, then you just go to begging God and asking God to do what he told you he's already done. By his stripes you were healed and yet you ask him to heal you as if he weren't healed and then wonder why nothing's happening. I know what I'm sharing tonight is really simple and some of you think it, it can't be this easy. Faith is a lot of things. Faith without works is dead. You've got to act on this. There's things, words are how you release faith. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18, 21. There's, there's a lot of things involved, but it all begins with an attitude that I'm trying to express tonight, and that is that Jesus delivered you from this present evil world. And yet most of us don't really believe that. Most of us believe it's off in the future, in the sweet by and by, but in the rough now and now, you're just destined to suffer. And religion comes along and says, God's the one that put that on you to teach you something. God's not gonna heal you until you get this sin out of your life. And they tell you all of this other stuff that is a lie and it's not true. Jesus died to deliver you and me from this present evil world. And if you aren't being delivered, none of us have arrived yet. I don't do things perfectly. There's things in my life right now that I know I'm delivered from that I'm still appropriating. But I recognize it's me that's the problem. It's not God who hasn't provided it. It's me, and I'm in the process of renewing my mind and believing God for things. But man, I know Jesus died to deliver me from it, and I just refuse to be normal. I refuse to be what this world calls normal. Do you know a normal Christian is so abnormal compared to the average that people will think you're weird, but just normal Christianity would set you apart like a heel thumb. Man, you need to recognize God made us for something more than what most of us are experiencing. Religion just keeps lowering the standard. Don't expect for healing. Don't believe for prosperity. Don't believe for joy and peace. I've actually had Christians come up to me before and say, you're in denial. You've got problems. You're just denying them. I say, you're absolutely right. I am denying them. I don't deny that I have problems. I don't deny that there's times that discouragement comes against me. 
I've had people spit in my face. I've had people cuss me out. I've got blogs written about me. I've got millions of people that hate me and I've got things that are done and you know what? That doesn't make me feel good. I don't like being criticized. I have the same temptations as anybody else, but I've just decided I'm not going to go there. That I'm not going to live that way. And so I am in denial. I don't deny that problems exist, but I do deny that they are going to dominate me and that I have to roll over and just suffer like people that don't know God. If God has ever healed anybody, he'll heal me. God is no respecter of persons. And if there's ever been anybody healed, I can be healed. If there's ever been anybody blessed and prospered, I can be prospered. Pastor Dean can tell you, he knew me back when I was struggling financially. And I mean, God used him to speak into my life. And since that time, you know, we just built a $32 million building in 18 months, debt-free. And it takes me, it takes me $2 million a month to pay my bills. And I raised an extra $32 million on top of my $2 million a month without begging anybody, without telling anybody we're going to have to go off television if you don't give, without doing any manipulation or control. And we did it. And, and I tell you, just a few years ago, that was absolutely impossible. Absolutely if God can do that for me, he could do it for you. I've been poorer than most people in this room have ever been. And it was because of my own stupidity. It was because of my own problems. But nonetheless, I've been weeks and weeks without food when my wife was eight months pregnant. We've been kicked out of houses, evicted because we couldn't pay our bills. We've been turned over to collection agencies. We've been, we've, we've been there. And yet, here I am now doing these things. And we just finished the $32 million building program in January and I'm starting a $35 million building program next week. And that's not the end. I've got vision beyond that. And you know what? I'll get it done. And some of you just immediately there's a disconnect and you think, well, you're a preacher and things work differently. Well, I was a preacher back when I was starving. Just because you're a preacher doesn't mean that things are going to automatically work. I went for decades in poverty and I tell you, it's the Word of God that changed my life, not being a preacher. Brothers and sisters, most of us are aiming at nothing and hitting it every time. We've been taught to lower our expectations so you won't be, you know, you won't get your hopes up. You won't be disappointed. If you go into a hospital, they're going to tell you the worst case scenario, the absolutely worst because of liability issues. If they told you everything's fine and then that person died, the family would come back and sue them. So because of liability, they'll sit there and tell you the worst case. They will do everything. They say, well, we don't want to get your hopes up. That's the very thing that should happen is that you ought to get your hopes up. But our world today has just, you know, it's like water. We flow to the lowest level and we have come down to where we are expecting nothing. We're trying to keep people from getting their hopes up. We're trying to tell people that you can't succeed. You can't prosper. That's a lie. There are some of you that are told because of your lack of education, 
because you're a female instead of a male, because you're black instead of white, because you, whatever the deal is that you can't prosper. And all of that stuff is a lie unless you believe it. If you believe it, you empower it. You're the one that gives the devil power over these things. And I'm just trying to get across to you tonight that God died specifically to deliver you from this present evil world. I hope that every one of you goes home and writes Galatians 1.4 on something and sticks it to where you can see it. And remind yourself that Jesus died to forgive, deliver you from this present evil world. And everything that this present evil world includes, that's the full gospel. And if people are preaching to you that, no, you can't have joy, you can't have peace, you've got to suffer, it's through your trials that you're made better. If you really believe that, well then the people who've suffered the most ought to be the best. And that is not true. That's a misunderstanding, a misapplication of scripture. If you really believe that Jesus gave you sickness and it's God's will for you to be sick, well then why would you rebel at God and go to the doctor and take medicine to get out of God's will? If you believe that God made you sick, well then let it run its course. Don't try and short circuit it. Get there and just be real sick and learn what you're supposed to learn. That is ignorant. I have people that have criticized me when I talk like this and they'll come up and say, God's sovereign. Nothing happens but what God allows it. God either causes it or allows it. And you're telling people that they can change, that they can make things happen. You are against the sovereignty of God. And they'll come up and say, you're the devil for preaching that. That's the devil that told you to do that. You know what? I just turn their logic right around on them and I say, I couldn't have said this if God didn't want me to say it. And I've never had anybody come up with an answer to that. If you really believe God's sovereign, then how could I say these things unless God wants me to say them? And they'll say, no, that's not. Well, then you have to believe that God isn't totally sovereign. He doesn't just control you like a chess piece. I'm telling you, God has provided salvation for everybody. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine says, God is not... Uh, I forget the exact word, and God is not slack concerning his promise as some man counts slack, slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is God's will. It says it in black and white. It's God's will that nobody perish, and yet Jesus said more people would perish and enter by the broad gate unto destruction than by the, the narrow gate unto everlasting life. So if you believe the word of God, you have to quit believing that God is just sovereign and he controls everything because it says his will is that nobody perish and yet more people are perishing. God's will doesn't automatically come to pass because you have to access God's grace by faith, Romans 5, 2. You have to stir yourself up and you have to start believing for something. And there, again, there's much to this, much more than what I'm just saying, but this is the beginning point. James chapter four, verse seven says, submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The word resist means to actively fight against. Actively fight against. And if you actively fight against the devil, he will flee from you. 
Satan can't do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. That doesn't mean that you necessarily say, oh, I want to be sick. You may not want to be sick. You may not have prayed and said, oh God, give me cancer. But you did cooperate with the devil by thinking that I'm only human and cancer's incurable. And oh God, I know so many good people that have died of cancer. Who am I? What's different in me? You had to believe that kind of stuff. You had to believe that you aren't delivered from this present evil world and that cancer is bigger than you or Satan couldn't have done it to you. You have to cooperate with the devil. That usually goes over about like that. <laughs> I'd say that even, you know, you're the fanatics. This is what, Thursday night? <laughs> this isn't your nod to God crowd. You're the fanatics. And yet most of the fanatics sitting in this room feel totally, totally a victim that I didn't have anything to do with this. You do. Through our ignorance. You know, the Lord said that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Through us not knowing who we are and just singing these songs, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man or a woman. You are cooperating with the devil. Through thinking that there's certain seasons that the Word of God doesn't work, you are cooperating with the devil. Through thinking that, well, we're in a recession. I can't prosper in a recession. You are cooperating with the devil. You didn't believe what the Word of God says. You're believing a lie. For you to believe, well, I'm 60 years old. It's about time for me to start wearing out and things to go wrong. You are cooperating with the devil. I know most of you don't recognize it, but that is absolutely true. You have been well taught. You have spent an entire lifetime believing for the problems that you've got. And you're going to have to change some things. And it starts with just a simple truth, like I'm trying to get across tonight, that Jesus died to deliver me from this present evil world. From this present evil world. Not just the one to come, but this present evil world. I don't have to live like people that don't know God. I don't have to be sick like everybody else. I don't have to be poor. I don't care if there is a recession. I don't have to be fearful. I don't have to be worried. I don't have to be anxious. It is not normal for Christians to sit here and be defeated and discouraged. We were given a command to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. The Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. If you don't have peace in your life, it's because your mind isn't stayed on God. It's not because you have to be this way and we all have to go through highs and lows, mountaintops and valleys. Religion, see, again, has come along and reinforced these things and said, oh, it's down in the valleys where the fruit grows. So you have these mountaintops, but then God's going to send you through the valley so that you can grow. It's not true. The Lord said that he would raise the valleys and make the mountains and hills low. If you bring the mountains and hills down and the valleys up, there should be smooth sailing. There should be consistency in our life. You shouldn't be like a yo-yo that's up and down based on what's happening in your life. If the Lord is your strength, if the Lord is your joy and he's the same yesterday, today and forever, then you ought to be the same yesterday, today and forever. 
Again, I'm not denying that you have problems come against you, but you don't have to let those problems control you. You can operate like a born again person. You can operate like a person who's been delivered from this present evil world. I've actually had friends of mine that they lost their mate of 50 years. And they are just rejoicing in the Lord. I got this one good friend of mine. His wife used to work for me. And I've known them for years. And his wife died a couple of years ago. And I went by his house to check on him because I was concerned how he's getting along. Again, I know we're delivered from this present evil world, but you have to access it by faith. And I wanted to know if I needed to encourage him. I went by his house to talk to him. And he said, man, I'm glad you came by. He says, people don't understand what's going on. They think I didn't love my wife. Because he says, I am happier than I have. This is months after his wife died. He says, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. And they think it's because I, I don't love my wife and I'm glad she's gone. And he says, but that's not it. He says, I was so heartbroken that he finally just came to the realization either I was going to have to dig a hole and crawl in next to her and die or I was going to have to have God do a miracle. And he went to God and asked the Lord to minister to him. And he says, I have come to know the joy of the Lord. I know God better than I've ever known. I was forced into depending upon God. But he says, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life because my heart is focused on God. And he was just prospering. And Christian friends were telling him, you're in denial. You're suppressing your emotions. And they couldn't understand. Christians will criticize you when you go to talking about living in victory. You know why? Because if you could live in victory, that means they could live in victory and they don't want to get quit being carnal. They don't want to trust God. And so it's easier to tear you down and try and get you to be like them than it is for them to try and be like you. And I know some of you may think, well, this isn't fair for you to get me all stirred up and set the goal way up here and then not tell me how to get there. Well, that's what all of my teaching material is about, amen. <laughs> I, everything I know is on tape or on DVD, something. So I want to help you, but I, you know, I just can't tell you everything I know. But if you could just quit settling for less than what God wanted you to be, that would be a large part of your victory right there. You have to accept defeat. If you don't quit, you won't lose. In due season, you will reap if you faint not. But most of us just give up so easily because after all, you weren't totally sure it was going to happen anyway. I tell you what, you need to get it so burned on the inside of you that God created you for success. He redeemed you and He wants you to live a supernatural life. Whatever is true of Jesus is true of you in your born again spirit. And He wants you to do the same things He did. John 14, 12, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the word verily, verily means truly, truly. The reason He started, everything Jesus said was true. But when he starts off by saying, it's true, it's true, it's because he knew you were going to struggle to believe this. And so he was just trying to validate and say, I don't care how impossible this seems, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. 
I've had people come up to me before and say, well, I believe the greater works are being on radio and television and tapes and CDs. And I don't believe that's what he's talking about, but let's not even discuss that part of the verse. What are you going to do with the part that says the works that I do shall he do also? Until you do the works that he did, don't even worry about doing the greater works. Amen. What works did Jesus do? He healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, raised the dead. He gave you a command in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, to go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. It's a command. He said, those that believe on him will do the same works. Matthew cha or Mark chapter 16, verse 18, these signs shall follow them, verses 17 and 18, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. If you are believing that God has delivered you from this present evil world and he has given you the power to partake of this, then you should be laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. You should be speaking in tongues. You should be operating in the supernatural power of God. You should be doing what Jesus did. And yet there's many people, well, that was Jesus. And this is me. It's Jesus living on the inside of you. It's not you, but it's Christ living in you. Galatians chapter two, verse 20. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you ought to be, be like Jesus that when you walk into a room, people feel the presence of God. Demons cry out. And I know some of you think, this, this is strange. It's not. This is normal. This is what Jesus made us for, and yet the church is apologetic. Many of us at our workplace if they go to talking about things that you know aren't right, we feel inferior. We're afraid somebody's going to roll their eyes at us if we stand up for truth. And so we don't stand for the truth. We may disagree 100% in our heart, but we don't want to be criticized. Man, the Christians of previous years, they were being thrown to the lions. They were being persecuted, beaten, and they stood. And yet we can't stand because somebody might persecute us. I was talking to one of our Bible college students today who was told that he couldn't witness at work. I think that was you. Is it Brian? And he was told to be careful what you say. And man, he just is preaching the gospel. Amen. And I agree with that. And so what if they fire you? God's got a better job. Right. God will give him something better. <laughs> but we got so many weak, wimpish Christians and it all begins with that we don't really know what we've been redeemed from. If we knew how great the price was and what Jesus had done, I guarantee you, you would not put up with all of the inferior life. I just, for one, I'd rather shoot at the stars and if I miss, hit the moon than shoot at nothing and hit it every time. And yet most of us have been taught, don't get your hopes up. Don't, don't listen to this guy. Don't go to believing for stuff like this. You're liable to be disappointed. Yeah. You know what? You are liable to be disappointed. I was disappointed. I've been disappointed many times. I've stood with people and prayed for them to be healed and they died. But it wasn't God's fault. 
it was my fault. It was their fault. It was, I still am learning. I don't understand everything yet, but I guarantee you, I know that Jesus died to redeem me from this present evil world. And that's what I'm shooting for. And I can't say I've obtained unto it yet, but I hadn't arrived, but I've left. I'm moving in that direction. And because of it, I've seen people raised from the dead and I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen my son raised from the dead after being dead for over four hours, nearly five hours. He was stripped naked with a toe tag on in the morgue, in a cooler, already pronounced dead. And I prayed and he just sat up and started talking. My wife was raised from the dead a year and a half ago. She fell over and her heart stopped. And there were some people, we were at a cemetery. We were going to see Doc Holliday's grave. And anyway, she fell and hit herself in the chest and it stopped her heart. We got a doctor on our board and he told us what happened. He says, that's what it sounds like. And she hit her chest so hard, stopped her heart and she fell over dead. And there were some people there that called 911 from the cemetery. Later, we got to laughing, thinking about, did you know that the 911 people responded to the cemetery? <laughs> it's a miracle and anybody came. But anyway, she fell over dead. And man, I went to praying in tongues over her and she just sat up and all of a sudden she's back to normal. And about 10 minutes later, the EMTs showed up and they checked her pulse and her heart was up to 40 beats per minute. Her heart had just stopped. And God raised her from the dead. Some of you think, I don't believe it. Well, then it won't work for you. I'm not saying I do everything perfectly, but I've seen two out of my three family members raised from the dead. And I told my oldest son, I'm not raising you from the dead. You can take care of yourself, amen. I hadn't arrived, but it's working. It's work, and you know what? Until it starts working for you better than it's working for me, maybe you ought to listen to somebody else. How's this doctrine about believing that you're just human and that you have to struggle with. How's that working for you? <laughs> Until you start getting better results than I am, maybe you ought to admit that maybe there's something I don't know. Maybe I could live better. Amen? You know, Al Burke down here fell off of a ladder and shattered his hip. And Anyway, it's a long story. He could tell you about it. He'd be glad to tell you about it. But he held a Bible study in his hospital room. That, wasn't it that night? It's the emergency. In the emergency room. And they said, you can't do this. He says, I am going to do it. And anyway, they said he wouldn't walk for months or years or whatever. And here he is walking and totally healed. And you know what? It's because they're just stronger than horseradish. Angie Burke down here, I'd hate to be the devil and have her on my case. Makes me feel sorry for the devil sometimes the way she. But you've got to get that attitude. You've got to be violently resolved. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12 says, Since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven is preached, and the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What does that mean? That's talking about you've got to get violent. You need to stir yourself up. You need to get angry. Some of you can get mad at people. Real easy. You can get mad at your dog. You can get mad at things, but man, you are passive towards the devil. God gave us a temper not for people. 
You don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. We're supposed to be angry at the devil. Ephesians 4, 26 says, Be uh, angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil in verse 27. People have interpreted that as, well, God knows we're human. We are going to get angry. And so he, he knows you're going to get mad, but just make sure you get it confessed before you go to bed every night. That's not what that means. God didn't approve of anger as long as the sun is up. This is saying that there is a godly type of anger that isn't sin. There is a righteous, holy anger. And don't ever let that fall asleep. Don't ever put it to bed. Keep it stirred up. Don't ever let it rest. Stir yourself up. Get angry. You ought to be angry. You ought to get to where you hate cancer as much as you hate adultery, as much as you hate lying, stealing, and murder. I know some of you think, boy, this is strange. That's the reason you're sick. I hate being sick as much as I hate committing adultery. I wouldn't commit either one. It's been 46 years since I've been sick and I don't plan on getting sick. I don't believe in being sick. Amen. I'm not a perfect example. I don't do everything perfectly, but I tell you what, it's working for me better than it used to work, and it's working for me better than it works for most people, and I believe that this attitude I'm expressing tonight is one of the reasons, is I believe Jesus died to redeem me from stuff, and man, if He died and suffered so that I wouldn't have to suffer, I am not glorifying Him by suffering. I'm glorifying him by standing up and taking my inheritance and I'm going to fight the devil with my last breath. And if the doctors told me I was going to die, I wouldn't sit there and submit to it and let them experiment on me. They write it on their sign. They say family medical practice. They're just practicing on you. They don't know what they're doing. They'll give you a pill and say, go try this. And if that doesn't work, come back and I'll give you another pill. I'm not going to let them experiment on me. If they told me I was going to die, man, I'd, I'd start fighting it and resist it. And if I died, believing God, I'd count it an honor. Good friend of mine, Dave Hinton, the doctors told him recently, says, you're going to die. And he looked right at him. He says, so are you. <laughs> They just looked at him and he said, but I'm going to die believing God if I die, amen. I'm telling you, you need to stir yourself up or you'll settle to the bottom. You need to get angry at the devil. You need to start and you won't do this unless you know that God has freed you from this. Otherwise, you'd be fighting against the Lord. Some of you feel that if I don't take this patiently and just roll with the punches, then I'm not really a good Christian. Man, I guarantee you, you need to get angry. Jesus got angry and made a cat of nine tails and drove the money changers out of the temple twice. And you know, that was love. God is love. It's love to get angry. If you've made peace with cancer, if you've made peace with poverty, if you've made peace with your depression and well, this is just the type of person I am, that's the reason that you're stuck. 
As long as you can put up with it, you will. But when you get to a point that, you know what? I've been redeemed from this and I'm going to fight this. I'm going to resist the devil and he will flee from me. And then you get in and actively fight against the devil. I guarantee you, Satan will flee from you, not from God, from you. It's God's power, but it's in you and you have to stir it up and activate it and you need to get angry. You need to get to where you aren't settling for less than what God made. It is not God's will for us to suffer and go through the things that we go through. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And again, I know somebody's saying, all right, I'm convinced. How do I get there? Get my materials, amen. They'll explain it to you. I can't share more than your seat will endure, amen. So I'm gonna have to quit. But I pray that God just stirs you up and gets you to realizing there's more. You know, if you were to be honest, I think most people know that there's more. We heard a bunch of testimonies today in the Bible college and, and people were saying, I just knew that there had to be something more and they were praying and asking God and then they see me on television or somebody gives them a CD or a book and things like that. But they knew that there was more. If you would be honest, most of you know that God made you for more. If you saw your children suffering, you don't get any satisfaction out of them suffering. You want them to be well. You want them to be prosperous. You want them to be happy. Well, your Heavenly Father loves you much, much more than you love your children. And He doesn't get any pleasure out of seeing you suffer. God is not the one who's not performing for you. It's us who through the wrong thinking are limiting what God can do. We are the ones that are limiting God. And by just changing your goal, what you're shooting for and saying, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to start operating in what I see happening in the Bible. I'm going to do what he said. Just by changing your goal, there will be some frustration that goes with it because you don't just get there instantly. But I tell you, it is exciting when you know in your heart that God has given you this power. Even if you don't know how to use it, it's exciting just to know it's here. Man, when the Lord first started showing me these things, Jamie and I had never heard of Copenhagen. Copeland and Hagen. We'd never heard about faith. We'd never heard about any of this stuff. We didn't know anything. Except I knew God delivered me from this present evil world. And he told me if I laid hands on the sick, they'd recover. And he told me the works that he did, I'd do also. And I didn't, some of you are going to disbelieve this, but when I first started praying for people, I didn't know that there had been a person in the last 2,000 years healed. I thought that it had quit. That's what I was told in the Baptist church, that all the miracles passed away with the apostles. And I didn't know that there was miracles that had happened for the last 2,000 years. But I saw what the Word said, and I just started praying for people. I started laying hands on people, and we started seeing miracles happen. I saw blind eyes open. I saw people healed of cancer. I started seeing miracles and I thought, this is the first person that's been healed in the last 2,000 years. I didn't know other people had done it. I wasn't following somebody else's example. I just got hold of this truth and I didn't see it work real well. Matter of fact, lots of times when I laid hands on people, I was fearful of what was gonna happen. I didn't have a great confidence 
But you know, if you just believe it and start doing something, even an old blind squirrel will get a nut every once in a while if he doesn't quit. And I just was laying hands on so many people and praying for them, I started seeing miracles happen accidentally. I didn't know what I was doing. Now I know a lot more and we see more miracles happen. We see better results now. But you know what? When I didn't know anything, I still saw miracles just because I was convinced it was God's will. And I'm telling you, if you got, if you got the revelation that God has given me that I've tried to communicate tonight, and if you were to get that revelation and just start refusing to live a substandard Christian life, and you, you changed your expectation and started believing for something more. It's a process. You won't get there tomorrow. But I guarantee you, it'd change your life. You'd start seeing results. Things would start changing, and it would put a hope on the inside of you. Man, hope is a powerful force. And some of you right now don't have any hope. You think that this is the way it has to be. You're hopeless. You're pitiful. You're pleading with God for mercy. But man, if you started seeing that you already have these things, it's done. It would put hope on the inside of you that would sustain you until you learned what you needed to know in order to be able to see it come to pass. Isn't that good news? Amen. I just encourage you. I believe that God spoke this to me tonight. I had no intention of ministering this until I got up here. I believe God spoke this for this group. There's some of you that God is trying to get you to to lift up your eyes, to look higher, to shoot for something more. Quit accepting this. Quit looking at yourself as, well, I'm inferior to all of these problems. Greater is he that's on the inside of you than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in you than the sickness that's in your body, than the poverty that's in your finances and all of these things. And you need to go to resisting the devil and he'll flee from you. Father, I just speak these things to all these people in the name of Jesus, and I ask that the Holy Spirit would take these things that I've spoken of tonight and that you would just literally light a fire on the inside of people. I pray that like in Luke chapter 24, the disciples said, did not his word burn within us while he talked with us in the way? Father, I pray that this word would burn on the inside of people, that it would burn until they get sick and tired of being sick and tired, that they would get just fed up with being defeated and living like people that don't know God, and that, Father, we would, we would stretch ourselves and start believing for something more. Father, I pray and believe, I just fan the flame on the inside of people and believe that this word is gonna burn up all of the wrong thinking that people would just let the word of God dwell in them richly and set them free from all of these things. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We agree and we receive it. We receive it. Thank you, Jesus. There's some of you that have been praying for things externally to change circumstances to change, people to change, and all that. You've been praying for all this other stuff. What needs to change is you, your attitude. You need to quit submitting and letting other people dominate you in what they say about you. I'm not against doctors or lawyers. Bless their heart. But man, if they don't speak what the Word of God says, let God be true and every man a liar. Yeah. Romans 3, 4. 
You need to right now just reject these negative things that have been spoken that you'll never amount to anything, that you can't prosper, that you're in a dead end job, that you're limited and on and on. Right now, just reject those things. Stand up and say, I refuse to let these curses dominate me. I will fulfill what God has called me to do. And you know what's even worse? The Lord just spoke to me that there's a lot of you that it's not curses that other people have spoken. You have cursed yourself. You have limited yourself. You see yourself inferior and you are inferior in just yourself, but you aren't just yourself. You're God possessed. God Almighty lives on the inside and you need to change your evaluation and start dealing with your problems based on who you are in Christ. And this is a word from God for many of you. You need to quit cursing yourself. Quit cursing your situation. Jesus didn't take the five loaves and the two fish and curse them. He blessed them. He didn't say, you aren't enough. You'll never supply the need. He blessed that little bit of food and it multiplied. You need to bless what you've got instead of cursing what you've got. Man, bless. You know, find out what you do have. You may not have everything that everybody else has, but you got something. You've got something that you can use to resist the devil and fight this situation with. Father, I just thank you for showing people who they are in you and show them what they have. Let them realize that greater is he that's in them than he that's in the world. And right now we just speak against all of these curses, whether from other people or from ourselves, and we reject them and we say that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that nothing is impossible to him that believes. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Father, you've made us to be world overcomers and we just resist this. Satan, we break your power. We break the lies and the deception. I believe that demonic oppression and deception leaves tonight. And Father, you sent your word and healed them and delivered them of all of their destruction. Psalms 107.20. Tonight I've brought the word and I believe that people are healed and delivered from all of their destructions. Thank you that the word of God is health to our flesh and life to those that find them. Father, we thank you and we receive these things here tonight. Thank you for setting people free. And Satan, we just serve notice that we are not going to submit to you, cooperate with you any longer. We resist you and command that you flee in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Man, thank you. Praise God. Let's praise God for Jesus, amen. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. 
Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.